because nobody wants to have their cover unit be somebody that isn't going to be able to take care of them. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Squadroom. Uh, this is a little cut into the introduction real quick to give you a special announcement. This week we launched our first ever uh, t-shirt fundraising event. So if you've been wondering how you can support the show and uh, you don't uh, don't know how, well here he is. If you go to teespring.com, that's T-E-E spring, S-P-R-I-N-G, dot com forward slash the squad room you can check out the first shirt that we've launched that is a personal favorite quote of mine uh you'll see the shirt uh you can buy as many as you want right there uh as little as one as many as you want and you can support the show that way the proceeds from that are going to go to helping fund some of the servers and the hosting costs and some of the travel that's required to uh put the show on and uh to me, the shirt has a great message. Uh, the quote is on the shirt, on the back, on the front is a squad room logo. And uh, it's a quote that's very important to me and I think very important to any peace officer that's out there. It is uh, an excerpt from Teddy Roosevelt's speech, The Man in the Arena. So go to teespring, that's T-E-E spring.com forward slash the squad room to check out the shirt and help support the show. All right, into the intro. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 24 of The Squad Room. The Squad Room is devoted to optimizing the health and wellness of police officers around the world. When I talk about health and wellness, I don't just mean physical health and exercise, but how we maintain and improve our mental health, our wellness, and our mindfulness. Basically, any topic that can make us better people and better cops. I have another excellent episode with you today with a fantastic person, Diane Urban, the Chief of Police of Hayward, California. She is our guest. She's also a uh, CrossFit Games Masters athlete, very top level, and she is an ambassador of CrossFit, but also an ambassador of fitness and law enforcement, and frankly, I think uh, someone to look to as an example of uh, real leadership in police work. Unfortunately, Chief Urban has been in the news this year with the line of duty death of one of her officers, Sergeant Scott Lunger, and we talk about the challenges of that and how her fitness helped her and her department move through that and also how she has tried to turn the culture of of her department towards a culture of fitness now that she is in fact uh, the chief of Hayward she was in San Jose before that um, real real uh, great history uh, and a fantastic interview I think I asked like three questions and she just I had a whole list of questions and she just answered them before I ever asked them because she uh, she knew where I was trying to go and she knew the importance of this topic to all in law enforcement. Uh, before we jump into the show, I want to remind you that you can sign up for our mailing list by texting the squad room to 44222 or you can just go to who our email or sorry, our website, the net and sign up right there. We have uh, for the, another two weeks or so, we have a uh, Contest running with RP Strength. You can go to uh, episode 19 with Freddie Camacho to hear all about that. But to enter the giveaway for the RP Strength Auto Diet Template, a $99 value, just leave a review for the Squad Room on iTunes or Stitcher. Send me a screenshot or photo of that review to squadroompodcast at gmail.com. And then sign up for the mailing list, like I just told you, either at thesquadroom.net or by texting the Squad Room to 44222. Pretty simple. All right. Also, want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by the iCombat Training System. 
It's an active shooter and firearms qualification system. And it's like uh, like laser tag for cops. It's pretty cool. Uh, laser tag for adults because you get shocked if you get shot. Shocked if you're shot. Uh, 5,000 volts to be specific, but it doesn't really hurt. It just kind of stings a little bit and lets you know you got tagged. Uh, each officer in this system is outfitted with a Molly-style tack vest, a headband, and a receiver that have all these sensors on them. You're given a replica AR-15 and a replica Glock pistol. And I say replica, but that's not really a good word because the AR and the Glock both cycle like real guns. They emit gunshot sounds and muzzle flashes. Uh, both have a ammo accountability, too, so you have to keep track of your shots just like you would in a real firefight. I like a lot of things about this system. Uh, one of those is that the guns are weighted, and, the ma- and they even have a mag release, so they feel real. They don't feel like you're holding a water gun or something like that. This is a not a simulation system. It's a replication system. Because of that, you can take it anywhere. There's no site prep, no ammo costs, and none of the safety issues that come with a live fire sims training. I personally hate sims training, and to me, this system has all the benefits and none of the liabilities. To prove that point, watch the video at sbtactical.com, where they use a functioning terminal at Burbank Airport for active shooter training, where they use real cover and concealment. Multiple agencies went through this active shooter scenario in an airport, and it's pretty cool to watch because you'll see the the, the system in, in in play and in uh, in, in its inaction, I guess. Uh, but you'll also see how people react to getting shot at, even though it's just a laser. Uh, but when they get uh, they get zapped, you watch them uh, break from the objective. You watch them break from their diamond formations or however they're working together as a team. And you really do learn something out of that. Um, I went through this training myself with my own department. We use this system. And I was really impressed with it. And I was really impressed with how uh, how real the system is because you can't, cheat it like you can other uh, other types of training sometimes um, and it's uh, it's really telling uh, how uh, how you will react when um, you get you get this little shock from this belt that you wear and or it more importantly or even maybe not more importantly but surprisingly when <laughs> and partner gets the shock and you see how they react and maybe that's something you need to know is how your partner is going to react to something like that uh, my my department went uh, to the wall with this kind of training. It was an active shooter scenario. We used an abandoned open uh, office building warehouse type thing. They had smoke machines. They had strobe lights and music blasting. They were flowing, f- throwing flashbangs. It was about as real as you can get. So anyway, go to sptactical.com to check them out. All right, to the episode, Diane Urban, chief of Hayward PD, fantastic person, uh, Greg Amundsen, our guest in episode three, was the one who got us to connect up, and I am so happy he did. So please listen all the way through to Chief Urban. All right, with me today on episode 20 of the Squad Room is Chief Diane Urban of the Hayward Police Department. Chief, good, uh, good afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Well, thanks, Garrett. It's great to be here. So I'm excited to talk to you for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Greg Amundsen, our guest in episode three and a friend of the show, put us in touch. When I talked to Greg, he grabbed me by both arms and held on to me and said, you have to talk to Diane. <laughs> and uh, and luckily now it's coming to fruition. Yeah, they don't come any so, better than Greg. Yes, absolutely. So you're, uh, Hayward PD, for people that don't know, you're right up there in the Bay Area. In fact, you're right next door to our guest on the last episode, Freddie Camacho, <laughs> who works out of Union City. Yes. Uh, you share a uh, you even share a border, correct? With uh, with Union City, we do. Freddie often rolls his bodies over into our jurisdiction, so we have to take them. 
So uh, you're up in the Bay Area. Um, and how long have you been at Hayward now? Uh, about four and a half years. Wow. Okay. That's that's a that's a pretty good legacy for a chief. It uh, is. I think the national average is about three year lifespan. So uh, I've already beat the the national average. Feeling feeling good, and uh, and so yeah, very happy to be here and serve here. Awesome. And, and Hayward's a city of about how many people? So we're about 150,000 people at nighttime, and, and that blossoms up to about a quarter of a million uh, during the daytime. We have a, a lot of industry here in Hayward and uh, about 350 personnel in this police department. 350, and, and is how many of those are sworn? About 200 sworn and 150 professional staff. Okay, wow. So good-sized agency uh, in a very hopping area of, uh, of the state. Yeah, it is uh, incredibly busy here, and we're very blessed. We have our own jail. Uh, our own pl- we, we do dispatching here for police and fire. Uh, we also have an animal shelter as well. So we're a full-service police department. Oh, that's no, no, you're not kidding. So obviously you didn't uh, just uh, finish the academy four and a half years ago and get sworn in as chief. You were at San Jose before, <laughs> correct? Yeah, don't I wish it had been four and a half years I started. <laughs> yes, I spent my first almost 26 years with the San Jose Police Department. I, I started there as a, a young police officer, uh, 1986, January 5th, 86 is when I was sworn in. And I worked my way up through um, officer sergeant, lieutenant captain, deputy chief, for just a few months, and then I became the assistant chief, the number two there, where I ran the, the day-to-day operations for about a year and a half before I came to Hayward. And what other assignments have you held or, uh, in, in that interim? Any uh, detectives or motors or what have you done? Yeah, you know, I, I tell people all the time I'm, I'm, I'm old, and so I'm, I'm lucky when I can say, you know, I was a, a first, and, I, and my goal is that other women don't ever have to say they were first. So my first special assignment was actually I was the first woman on uh, to test and be selected for San Jose's merge team, which is the SWAT team there, full-time SWAT team. And so I, I worked merge. Uh, I was the first woman selected to the intelligence unit. I uh, worked that for several years. I got promoted to sergeant, uh, first female sergeant in the field training program. And uh, I also was fortunate enough to be uh, the first gal to go over. I ran our full-time horse-mounted and parks unit, which was at the time, um, which it doesn't exist anymore just due to to budget concerns. But I ran that unit for almost five years. I had 12 full-time mounted officers and four parks officers. And I was eventually promoted out of there to lieutenant. And uh, I mostly worked patrol uh, as as a lieutenant. And uh, probably the best assignment I ever had was as a captain in special operations. So I was in charge of all the cool toys. I had about 185 staff, and and we had everything from merge to the violent crimes enforcement team that focused on gangs to the street crimes unit that focused on quality of life, narcotics, bomb unit, canines, traffic, uh, our air support, which was our fixed wing and helicopter. Uh, the joke was, don't don't make the captain mad; she'll take over the city and do a coup. Uh, <laughs> a lot of work, but an awful lot of fun. And all, and that is where all the toys are. It absolutely. is. It was a really good time. So I wasn't gonna, I was gonna jump. Oh, this is a great chance to jump ahead a little bit. I was gonna get into this, but so obviously there's a lot of firsts you just rattled off, um, and and um, a lot of those, especially SWAT being um, historically, you know, very testosterone driven. Uh, I can't imagine that you didn't acro- come across some challenges or some resistance that you had to overcome, and. Uh, how how did you either overcome those doubts or did you hold those doubts about yourself or did you just have to prove to others what you already knew? Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, um, uh, that's actually a, 
it's a question that I get asked a lot because at the time when I went into the merge unit, which was in 1989, it was it was really new uh, for other people. For for me, you know, I was fortunate. I was raised with a very progressive father, who really raised me as the world is my oyster, and I was a, a pearl. And so when I put in for the merge unit, I didn't know it was going to be such a big deal to other people. And when I put in, I, I can remember my patrol sergeant was so proud of me, you know, much like you being a patrol sergeant. He apparently, this is a story he told me um, a short time after I applied. So he was in a staff meeting uh, with all the sergeants uh, on midnights, lieutenants, and his captain, and announced that one of his patrol officers was applying for the merge unit, which is you a know, very prestigious unit. And when they asked who, he said literally you could hear a pin drop for about 30 seconds. And he said there was sort of like dropping a bomb in the room. And um, it surprised me. You know, I, I guess I just lived in a, in, in a little bubble. I, I didn't think it was any big deal. I was out there making felony arrests every night. I was a good team player. It was something that I had been inspired to do in the police academy. Our report writing instructor, Dave Newman, was this incredible ball of enthusiasm. And he said, you know, when you grow up and become uh, real police officers, you, you got to come work in the merge unit. I mean, it's where it's at. We're the, the be-all, end-all, and when everything hits the fan, you know, they call merge, and we go in and we fix everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's me. That's what I'm going to do. And and so after I was on for three years, that's exactly what I decided to do. And, and I tested. Uh, there were, you know, dozens and dozens of people. I think 45 or 50 people tested, and, and they had um, six or seven openings, and I tested number four. And, and so I went into the unit. You know, I reflect back on it now. It was really a very defining time in my career. It was not very well received by the majority of the people in the unit. Uh, I would argue that, that the guy that was very senior in the unit that offered to work with me, um, who is still one of my best friends to this day, uh, Pete DeSena, he's actually the chief at San Jose State University. You know, he was really open-minded about it. He didn't think it was a big deal either. And, and he taught me the ropes and, and treated me as a peer and as an equal but I can't say that was the same for everybody on the team. You know, it was a, it was a pretty rough go, Garrett, quite frankly. Um, a lot of guarding of back doors, a lot of being excluded. Uh, you know, people would go do search warrants, and I wouldn't get notification about it until they were done. You know, it was a very, very tight team. You, you know, it's two teams of ten people, and, and you brief every day together, but it was amazing how I didn't get a lot of the information. So there was a lot of secret keeping and, and sort of boys clubbing, but there were some great people in the unit, and I had a phenomenal, I mean, an absolutely phenomenal lieutenant, uh, Mike Maselli, who later became one of our deputy chiefs. And, and you know, he kept an eye on me, and, and, I, and he offered several times to try to make things right for me. And I said, no, it's really something I have to just do on my own and, and make my own way. And, and eventually, um, you know, there was, there was a very defining time when I got sent to a sniper school with several other, other police officers from my department. And none of them passed the physical agility test except for me. That really changed everything. I mean, that was truly the beginning of uh, a great love for me kind of moving forward and knowing, you know, I really could make my own way and that it was all right. But there was no way they were going to get me to quit, no matter how hard they tried. And there were three or four guys in there that were 100% committed to getting rid of me out of that unit. And uh, you know what? That's why it's CrossFit such a perfect segue is I'm not a quitter. And honestly, you can't make me quit. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's and that brings up then, so obviously that's a mindset and a mental attitude, and that's something we talk about and have full episodes about on this podcast. But 
that started somewhere. And you mentioned your dad and that he really, really pushed you. But was there other things growing up, either a fitness background or of high school or college sports or as an adult that instilled that in you? Or was there a martial arts that you practiced? Or is that just something that kind of came about organically? Yeah, you know, I grew up in Oregon uh, out in the country. And from a very young age, I've I've told people, truthfully, that I've had a job since I was nine years old. Uh, I worked full time in the summer. Uh, we lived uh, out in the boonies. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money. And if you wanted spending money, then you worked. And so uh, I picked strawberries, I picked raspberries, and I picked beans. That's what you do. Um, it's not very good money, but it's I think it kept me from out of my parents' hair. You know, they worked full time. You know, I catch the bus at 6 a.m., bring my lunch, and work, work all day out in the fields. And um, very defining uh, story. I was probably 10 years old out in the raspberry fields. I'd been working out there for, you know, I'd worked this part of the summer before, and I was working that summer. And they always gave the youngest kids the rows that had already been picked by adults who actually had to make a living. So we did the repicking. So it was really hard to find, you know, berries. You got 50 cents a bucket. So, you know, sometimes it would take 20 minutes to pick a bucket. Sometimes it would take two or three hours if you had a picked over row. And as a young person, that's just what you got. And they had run the sprinklers, and it was a cold, foggy, typical Eugene, Oregon day. And... um I was soaking wet. I'm in a pair of Levi's, and I was go- going through this repicked row, and I'm freezing. You know, my, my jeans are soaking wet. And so my girlfriend and I, we sneak out of the fields, and we go to a farmer's house, and we ask if we can use his telephone. I mean, you got to think about this is back in the, like, probably 1972-ish, 73, uh, some, somewhere around there. And uh, the guy's like, sure, you know, and I called my dad, and I said, I need you to come pick me up. I'm I'm cold. I'm miserable. Um, this stinks. And he said, all right, you know, I can be there in about 15 minutes. But before I do that, I want you to think about something. I'm a little girl. I'm like, I said, nine or ten. I think I was probably 10 years old. And he said, if you quit today, if I come pick you up, you can never go back there and work again. And you'll always be a quitter. Or you can put your boots back on, go back out in the field and finish your day out and be a winner. And, you know, my dad has always been that defining, heroic figure in my life. And I'll be darned if, much to my girlfriend's disappointment, I said, don't bother to pick me up and put my boots back on and went back out and picked raspberries and strawberries and beans the rest of the summer. And that, that's so from a very young age, you know, I never had an opportunity to do martial arts or, or anything like that. You know, I just, I lived on a ranch and, and things were hard. You know, we raised our own food, so I cleaned the chicken coops and, Picked up after after the livestock, we raised our own food, and and my folks worked more than full time. You know, they ran a restaurant, and that's seven days a week, 15 hours a day. And we had a 20 acre farm, and so it was just my sister and I to do all of the chores, and that that's every day, all the time, plus school. So I think I've just always had a phenomenal work ethic instilled in me from my from my pop, and um, you know. It's just the way I've always done business. You know, I, I try to be the first one in and the last one out. Yeah, uh, that, that, that would explain it perfectly. Uh, you know, I have a lot of family in Iowa and Minnesota <laughs> uh, who run farms, and um, you just, there's no choice. You have to work hard, and you have to, it is built into them and into their DNA to just grit it out. And it served them well, of course, throughout life, and obviously it's, it's served you well, too. Um, 
you have you have daughters. They're they're grown. I have a young daughter, seven, and I love that story of your dad because I and but I hope I am conscious enough at the moment something like that happens to be able to convey to her that lesson, um, and that I'm aware enough. Uh, something as a dad, I I always struggle with or wonder if I'm doing it correctly myself. Yeah, it's funny. I I mean, your daughter's seven. My daughters are twenty and twenty seven, and and I'll tell you, I. I know that what my dad taught me has been instilled in, in them. Uh, you know, different degree. They, they've definitely led a much different life than I have. They've had um, a mom who has done nothing. But, I mean, I've I worked diligently to provide for them and, and give them every opportunity, but not give it away for free. Um, both girls have an incredible uh, work ethic and a desire to succeed. My youngest is uh, way more laid back. And, of course, being the youngest, she had her big sister, Christine, to sort of rely on. And uh, what's been interesting to me is when her, when her big sister, Christine, who is now a deputy sheriff in Santa Cruz, uh, she was with San Diego, but she just moved up to Santa Cruz to be with her, her fiancé, Greg Amundsen. Funny story. Uh, <laughs> she really became, I really got to see that that work ethic had been instilled in her. She had a lot of livestock at the house, and I was the chief up here in Hayward, and that girl would get up, um, you know, in high school, high schoolers want to sleep in. That girl was up every day by 530, uh, mucking lamb stalls, goat, uh, goat stalls at her horse, um, cleaning, feeding, getting the food ready for her that night, exercising then if she needed to, and then driving herself to school, doing after school sports, <laughs> and then coming home and doing a repeat of cleaning, feeding, homework. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of both my daughters, and I feel like, um, you know, it's sort of in our DNA. I, I have to thank my dad for that. I know my grandma was the same same way. She raised three boys by herself uh, back in the 20s, which was sort of unheard of. So we come from a long line of, of hard workers in our family. Yeah. So uh, as someone who knows hard work and respects it, uh, you are also uh, a top-level CrossFit games athlete in the master's division um when did you find crossfit and uh is there a story there usually someone has a story about how they found it uh you know it's it's funny when you just said i'm a top level crossfit masters athlete that is uh probably the greatest compliment as an older person you could give me i mean i don't know you know sometimes i look back and i'm like how how did i get here so um funny story as as with most cops you know it's really easy to get out of shape in this business you know we do shift work we we don't always eat healthy. We certainly don't sleep enough. And we're trying to balance that out with a family. So, you know, I'm raising, raising a family, uh, working full-time, promoting. Um, I was not a person who ever let myself get totally out of shape. I mean, I was very busy with the girls. I did. I worked with the livestock. I showed horses. But I was no longer able to go to the gym and do specific exercise for about 14, 15 years, you know, with work demands um, home life. It just, it didn't happen. And Leanne Alfonso, she's a police officer with the San Jose Police Department. She introduced CrossFit. And in fact, San Jose, I think was one of the first CrossFit affiliates uh, out of headquarters. And so they introduced CrossFit to the San Jose Police Department. And Leanne was uh, a friend of mine and we would speak in the locker room about what CrossFit was. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes she's like, just come in and try it once. So Probably about six months after they introduced CrossFit into the police department, 
I went over one morning at five o'clock in the morning and did my first CrossFit workout. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't really remember what the workout is other than that there were some, something with a barbell. I don't, I don't remember. It might've been presses. And I know there were GHDs and I know there was running and I couldn't walk uh, for like three days. And I irritated uh, my foot so bad. And I got diagnosed with severe plantar fasciitis one workout. And so it really, it really bummed me out. And so I just didn't run for a while. And I, I started rowing and I would do one or two, you know, 20 minute workouts a week. And so I really have to give Leanne the credit for introducing me to the sport, but I, I really didn't do it. You know, I just did it a couple days a week to start getting some fitness back. And when I came up here to become the chief, I still stopped by the police department on my way up to work the first year because I, I didn't live up here. And I would stop at San Jose and, you know, do a 20, 30-minute workout and then come up here. And one of my um, lieutenants at the time, he's now a captain, says, you know, my, my cousin, Freddie Camacho, owns a CrossFit gym in Union City. I said, <laughs> okay. And he said, you know, you should, you should check it out. And I said, Freddie, does, you know, has he got a shaved head? He's got tattoos. He's really buffed. He goes, yeah, that's my cousin. I said, you know, I met him. He came up to teach a level, like a level one law enforcement seminar at San Jose and I got called to the chief's office and had to go do some projects, so I never got to go to the class. So I sent Freddie an email, and he invited me to um, his former gym, One World. And I started training with Freddie in China um, a couple of days a week. And I just dabbled in CrossFit for, for about a year. And uh, Freddie said, you know, maybe you should think about doing a competition. And, uh, and so I, I secretly signed up for the NorCal Masters in January of 2013. And I didn't tell anybody for like a month because when I signed up, I actually got like sick to my stomach that I had committed $100 to a CrossFit competition when I didn't even know if I could actually do it. So I went in early one day before class and Freddie and China were in there and I said, okay, I signed up for that NorCal Masters. And, you know, Freddie's reaction was fantastic. China will coach us. We're going to have a blast. I said, no, I actually wanted to let you know that today's the last day I can get my money back. So I was thinking, you know, I should not sign up. And he goes, oh, no, 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 you're doing it. And China's like, oh, yeah, you're doing it. And so in January of 2013, I did my first competition. And it was at that event that I truly fell in love with the sport. And uh, I give a lot of credit to TJ and Allison Belger, who run that. That's an epic master's competition up in Richmond, California every year. And, um, and so I had a big serious talk with uh, with China after after that competition, probably about March of that year. And it was the first time I did the Open, and I said, okay, this next year I I really want to make it to the games in in 2014. And I I you know I I want to do this. I want somebody to coach me. I want somebody to program for me. I want to do this. Um, if you can't tell by my enthusiasm, I you know I'm out, either all in or all out. You know I, I tell my girls all the time, you don't have to do something if you don't want to, but if you're going to do it, do it right or don't do it at all. And so I decided to do CrossFit right. And so I started training at that time about um, three to four times a week. I, I train more than that now, but at the time I started training three, four times a week and started getting coaching and, and started getting really serious in my own head about it in, in mid to late 2013. That's quite the jump into it. I mean, to have China <laughs> Cho, who is now the, the top finishing American at this year's games, to, to take you... Uh, as a as your personal coach, that's yeah, she, that's a good way to get in. She 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 was at the time, um, you know. I I, I think 
you know, China Freddie um, ended up, you know, buying into the gym in Fremont. And um, I'm really happy for her. I am so excited to see her progress. And, and having been a part of when she was, you know, she was already a phenomenal athlete when I met her in 13. She had already been to the games, but she had struggled a couple times to get back. And now to watch her be at the top in this country and to watch her and the U.S. team win the Invitational this weekend. Um, although I don't train, uh, although I don't train with China anymore, it is incredible to have been a part of watching her grow into the absolute elite athlete that she has become. And, and arguably, Freddie is is even way better than he was back then. Um, they're a real power couple and incredibly talented, uh, very, very funny, wicked sense of humors, and uh, it's just great to see their success. Yeah, Freddie was a great, Freddie was a lot of fun to interview. Oh, a lot of fun to he see. is ethically comical. Um, he knows uh, what to say and when to say it, and, and, you know, he's kind of untouchable. He's got that, that really good warped sense of humor, cop sense of humor. <laughs> That's good for him. So did you bring uh, CrossFit to Hayward then, or was there, a Hay- was there a program at Hayward when you got there? There was a program of just seriously a overall lack of fitness in this organization, and it was a little surprising to me uh, how little fitness there was, and what was very concerning to me as a chief is how many workers' comp I- injuries I-, I had here. There was a period of time, um, my first 18 months here, where at times I would have between 20 and 30 people on workers' comp. And I worked with my team and with human resources and my city manager, and I said, we have got to do something different in this organization. And my goal is to get my personnel fit and to lead from the front. And what I love about CrossFit is it doesn't matter whether you're an athlete elite or uh, a person that's never done anything before because it's so scalable. And I said, uh, I'm going to build a CrossFit gym for this organization, and I'm going to do it if it kills me. And I swear it almost did. It took me uh, over three years to get the funding in place. Uh, one of my lieutenants found a location. We're in a very um, old building built in like 1972, and we, we have so little room. In fact, we just had some specs done. Uh, the building that we're in is 40,000 square feet, and we're supposed to be at the staffing levels we are at now at about 67,000 square feet. So we're, we're in a pretty small building uh, for the size that we are, and one of my lieutenants found a building about 1.2 miles from here over at the Hayward Executive Airport. A lot of people don't know we have an executive airport here. It's a pretty big airport and super busy getting ready for the Super Bowl uh, because we're right in between Oakland and San Jose, and we found a, a hangar, and we converted it. It's about uh, 3,000, 3,500 square feet. Half of it we use uh, are, have got really nice wrestling mats on it where we practice defensive tactics. And then on the other side, we have a full-on CrossFit gym, and our human resources uh, department was a huge uh, partner for me. They helped us with the initial funding for the equipment, and then we took some of the money that we made at the competition last year. It wasn't a lot of money. We only cleared about $1,500, but we bought additional equipment, and we're, we've been hosting, uh, Greg has taught a couple of, of the uh, CrossFit train-the-trainer courses at our, out of our organization, and uh, my next step is to get regular classes scheduled so that people can become more familiar with the movements. Right now, a lot of my officers use it, particularly my SWAT team, but some of the people that probably need fitness the most that are less confident, particularly my professional staff, my non-sworn, they're a little reluctant to go and try it. And quite frankly, I wouldn't want them to without instruction. 
And so uh, I have a couple of guys in the police academy right now that are um, former CrossFit box owners and uh, level one trainers. And then myself and two others of my officers here are level one trainers. You know, I'd like nothing more than to go teach. Unfortunately, you know, 10, 12 hour days are normal. And then to try and fit in coaching uh, for my department is a little challenging. But I'm committed to figuring out how to do that. Uh, we have reduced workers' comp injuries. It's been a combination of things, um, certainly not just the CrossFit gym, but just an overall push of fitness. Uh, generally, we have between 6 and 10. So we've lowered our workers' comp probably by 60 to 70% overall uh, in the last couple of years, which is a real positive. But I think the thing that I want to share is that we have a lot of people that are now becoming very familiar with fitness, nutrition, sleep. And, you know, being a law enforcement professional yourself, you know that you have continued professional training that's mandated by the state every year. And in Hayward, we're very fortunate. We get nine days, nine full days of training a year, not the mandatory 40 by the state. We do nine. And so that gives us five days, five full days of elective training. And Last year, what we did for one of the days is we introduced everybody to CrossFit equipment. We brought everybody out to the gym. We showed them how to use it. That's how we opened our gym was at our continued professional training. So along with doing first aid and CPR, they got introduced to CrossFit, what it was for, how it's utilized. We had our trainers go out and teach that class. Uh, We also talk about nutrition and sleep. And so we're trying to make that a part and parcel, no different than going to the range, you know, fitness, uh, sleep, eating right. Um, we don't make any bones about it. You are overweight. You don't don't look like you can do the job. Um, There's usually thoughtful consideration about fitness for duty exams. Uh, There's a tremendous amount of peer pressure here because nobody wants to have their cover unit be somebody that isn't going to be able to take care of them. And I I think just the fact that the executive team here is extremely fit. Everybody here is, is very into fitness. Um, Not everybody CrossFits, but everybody's very fit. And so, I think that modeling from the top kind of pushes its way down. Yeah, I would, uh, I would imagine. I mean, you're, you're introducing a new culture. There's a new person uh, at, the, at the top. And uh, if you are, like you say, leading from the front, people are going to naturally go with you uh, in that direction. I, I've, I've complained about this before on this podcast, but I have tried in earnest to do a very similar thing in my own department. And I'm hitting a weird roadblock where – they're reluctant because they're concerned that workman's comp is going to go up and that someone's going to drop a weight on their toe and, and, and go out on injury for that. And there's plenty of statistics to show that a healthier person is a, is a cheaper person, is a cheaper employee. Um, but I'm wondering if you've had any of that or did you have any pushback from a city council or anything like that? You know, I, I, I have not. The city council really, um, this is a city strong city manager form of government. And so I think it was pretty clear uh, when we talk about that top down, you know, my fitness level, I think it's always astonishing to the mayor and council when they see me, uh, when my city manager sees me. I'm very passionate about my love of CrossFit and my belief in fitness because for me it is about keeping my men and women healthy while they're on the job. But but ultimately, my long-term goal is for when my men and women retire is for them to retire on a service retirement. And my my big angst right now is about 90% of the people here retire on disability. And I don't like it. Um, I don't come from a, a, an organization. My old organization was not like that. It was a 
much smaller percentage of people who retired on disability. And so it takes a minute to change a culture of a police department. When I say it takes a minute, it might take a decade, but we're working on that. And so um, for the roadblock that you're experiencing, um, it's a little surprising to me because, I, I mean, it is about esprit de corps, it's about longevity, and it's about living a long and healthy life way after you get out of this job. I mean, this is just part of the journey. And I want all of my women to retire with a service retirement and go out and hike and bike and compete as masters or just play with their grandkids. And so I think it's a, no, a no-brainer. And it also depends on what your workers' comp policy is. See, in Hayward, as, as in many organizations, we, we did a lot of research, when officers get hurt doing some sort of athletic activity to stay fit at home, in a home gym, at 24-hour fitness, wherever, they're covered by workers' comp. And so it made sense for the city to be able to have a CrossFit gym. We already had a gym in the building, and we didn't get rid of that, that small gym that we actually have here on premise. But the more opportunities for fitness, the better. And if a sergeant um, has enough staffing and they, um, they on a case-by-case basis can allow the officers to go work out on duty as long as the officer understands they need to be listening to the radio and, and able to respond within five minutes to the call. Um, but if there isn't enough staffing, we certainly discourage that. Sure. But the beauty is, you know, most of the officers commute here to work. You know, Hayward's Bay Area is a very high-density, expensive area to live. And so... Officers usually will come to work early, and rather than paying, you know, $150 to belong to a CrossFit gym, they come here. And many of my units will go out and work out together uh, before work, after work, um, or during a lunch break if they're detectives. Um, so depending on what your workers' comp policy is, you know, I would I would recommend that you research what other departments are doing. I think it's I think we're sort of cutting edge. Uh, we've been tracking our statistics, but I think any time that you're encouraging health and fitness, uh, it's a it's a win-win situation. And, and we haven't even talked about being fit mentally, right? If you're not physically fit, it's pretty tough to be mentally fit. And if you're not mentally fit, the chances of you getting hurt or killed on the streets um, are exponentially greater. And uh, I think if you have passion and you can convey that to, to those that are in charge, and if not, send them over to see me because I will certainly shower them with enthusiasm um, yes. And you can't be afraid to try something new. Uh, our injuries have, have not gone up, quite frankly. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a warm-up. You know how CrossFit is. There's a warm-up. Sure. There's a workout. There's mobility. There's a warm-down. It's way better than somebody, you know, running in at 3 in the morning to go do a, a, a workout at some 24-hour place that has um, equipment that, you know, they're not warming up. They're not using properly. Um, so that, that's, that, that just doesn't hold water. Um, for me with your department. So you send them over to talk to me. I'll, I'll, I'll help you out, Garrett. We'll talk about that off air and we'll, we'll get them scored. You got away. it. You got it. I'm, I'm sure Freddie, I'm sure Freddie Camacho can tell you as well. And, and you know, there are many chiefs. In fact, I have a conference call with a chief from, um, I want to say it's Prairie View, Texas this Friday. He's doing his first CrossFit competition for his police department. He, and apparently uh, the competition that we held that was all law enforcement only, everybody had to be 830 of the penal code, you know, a sworn, they could be a reserve or an investigator, but they all had to be gun-carrying law enforcement officers. It was the first in the country uh, to be a, uh, a CrossFit competition with law enforcement only. And I'm hoping that that becomes more common. And, in fact, I'd be cool with it becoming epidemic 
and having, you know, Battle of the Badges. And I know it's part of the Police and Fire Olympics and so on now moving forward. So exciting stuff going on. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And it's, uh, it's, it's definitely changing, and um, people are learning about it, and people are really uh, – the success of this show is, is uh, an example of the fact that people are out there looking for answers and looking for information on how to be better and how to get better and um, how to go navigate these things through life and succeed in that service retirement that we all want. Yeah, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it isn't, it isn't just about, you know, competing is something I choose to do. I, I don't care whether my, my professional staff or my sworn compete or not, but I do really, really care about my men and women. I, I, I love my police department. I love my men and women. I want them to be healthy. And so if they'll just be willing to dip their toe in the water, hey, how many times you've been to the gym and, and, you know, somebody can just barely pick up a barbell or maybe they're just doing it with a PVC pipe. That's totally fine. You know, Freddie's the one that, that he was the first person I ever heard say, check your ego at the door. And people right. actually really need to be thoughtful about what that means. In fact, he, used to, he had it over his old gym. It's, it's still on the door. It says, check your ego at the, at the door. And I think if you can do that, it is about health and fitness. It isn't about winning or being in the CrossFit games. I mean, people who walk into a gym and, and, and say, hey, I, I want to start CrossFit. I want to be on TV. I want to be at the CrossFit games. You know, that's like a, that's like a kid in fifth grade saying, I want to be a full-ride scholarship athlete to UCLA. You know, less than 1% of 1% get scholarships. It's about the life lessons that are learned. It's about the confidence that you build. It's about the warrior mentality um, or the guardian mentality, but keeping yourself safe and keeping your partner safe and being more physically fit. It isn't about being on television, and that's not what this sport's about. Yeah, it seems to me that recently, if there, if there is a – the people that have a negative connotation of CrossFit – are the ones who are seeing it on ESPN and it's this super elite level. And, and that's really, to me, not what CrossFit is at all. Uh, it's cool and I like watching it, but it is about that day-to-day functional movement and that being able to pick up my kids uh, or being able to pick up a, a war bag off of the ground and put it in my car without, without hurting myself and being able to do that for the next 20 years. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I, and I do think, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm glad it's on TV, and I want people to become more familiar with it. But people really are sure. missing the point. And, you know, you listen to somebody, you know, you listen to Greg Glassman and you hear about the concepts behind it. It is truly for everybody. It, lots of, I see many people in their 70s, um, and we have a whole master's group at our gym, that are involved in functional fitness. You know, every time you sit down on the toilet, every time you pick up a bag of groceries out of your car, you bend over when you drop something on the kitchen floor. Uh, if you've ever been to uh, my mother-in-law's kitchen, uh, bending over and pulling pots and pans out of the bottom of her cabinet to get that one pot that she needs, that is truly functional fitness. You don't wrench your back. You are, you know, people really aren't fit enough sometimes to lean over and pull a cookie sheet out of the bottom of their oven. And mm-hmm. that's what's got to change. You know, this, this is a country that's filled with obesity, and uh, it's embarrassing, and it's unhealthy, and it's, quite frankly, it's, it's killing us from a financial perspective with the medical bills, um, trying to keep people alive because of, you know, the bad food choices and the bad nutrition choices that they're making. Yeah, um... That's that's the whole point of this, and we've made it to 20 episodes. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to figure this yeah. out. 
So you were talking about the games and being on TV and the CrossFit Games and all that, and and you were there in 2014, and you were you qualified and were set to go this year. Um, something that for a lot of people it would be obviously an amazing, uh, an amazing moment and an amazing opportunity. And so in July of 2015, here we are. You're down in Carson, ready to compete at the games, and unfortunately, you had an experience that no chief and no officer ever wants to have, which is one of your sergeants was shot and killed on duty. And I'm wondering, uh, as a chief, because it's, it's, it's hard to get a, it's often we don't get a reflection or an insight into this from, from the chief's perspective in something like this, but as someone who's just kind of fascinated about leadership and leadership qualities in general, you bear an enormous responsibility to lead your department out of something so devastating. And I'm curious what you uh, did in the immediate aftermath and then either through long-term planning or things that you and the department are focused on or implementing now to, to try and take care of officers in that wake. So uh, I was fortunate, and, and that's the way I'll look at it. Uh, I was fortunate that I got to compete in day one of the games this year uh, down in Carson. And um, and I my goal was to be competitive and to have a blast. Um, I, I, like most people, am, am very nervous when I compete. And I, I can think back to that day and tell you that I enjoyed the whole day. I, en- I did three workouts. I had a blast. Uh, I can remember hamming it up for the ESPN cameras. I can remember my family, uh, my daughters, um, my my uh, my other half, uh, my my friends from um, all the, actually all the way from Idaho. My um, my other half flew in. Um, a friend of mine who owns Snake River CrossFit. Uh, my coach couldn't come. She she was uh, about to have a baby. Literally a couple of weeks out. So the owner of my gym, Dal, and uh, and then my girlfriend from uh, Snake River CrossFit, so the owner of uh, Jigsaw, they came out to support me. Uh, Dal coached me, and uh, Michaela, she uh, she mobilized me, made sure my nutrition was right. Uh, my Olympic lifting coach uh, came, so I, I I was surrounded by about you know 12 family members and loved ones, and it was such a fun day, and I, I felt like I was in a really good spot. You know, I I had been nervous. I was one of I think only two women that had not competed in the games before. Um, so there was a lot of experience out there, and I realized, wow, the intensity is crazy. You know, you think the Open's intense or the Masters qualifier to get to the games is intense. It there it doesn't compare to what's going on in the field that day. Um, those, hello, it's the best 19 other women in the world. You know, it would seem obvious, but it's different when you're there and you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is serious. I mean, these people are killing it. And so um, the deal I had with my three captains, um, I had a captain that was an act, the acting chief in my place. And here was the deal. I said, um, I'm not going to sleep with my phone on. I'm going to turn my phone off, and um, I'm not going to check email uh, during the three days I compete. But I'm going to stay and, and, and watch, my, uh, watch China compete and watch some of the other open athletes. I'm going to relax after I'm done competing, and then I'll be back on the grid. But for three days, I'm going to be off the grid uh, my phone will be off at night, but of course I'll have it on during the day. But, you know, chief, we're not going to call you, you know, you're off the grid. And so for the first time in four years, literally, I had full confidence in my executive team and I was gone. And so, you know, I, I went to bed after the first day of competition and uh, got up the next morning and ate my breakfast, got in my uh, competition clothes, got my mind set for the big chipper that was going to kick off that morning and as we were uh, getting ready to walk out the door, I turned on my telephone. My phone was levitating off of the nightstand. Um, I had uh, 
14 or 15 voicemails and 40 plus text messages that eventually fed in in about five minutes. And so I didn't listen to any of them. I just picked up, I just called my acting chief. I called my captain and I said, who got killed? I, I knew that for them to call me, um, that it was that bad. And, um, he explained to me that he was at the hospital, that my sergeant, um, that Scott Lunger had been uh, shot and killed on a car stop. Um, he was stressed. You know, he had tried to get a hold of me since it happened, you know, at 3.30 in the morning. Now it's 6.30 in the morning, so, you know, I was off the grid. And so, um, you know, I called my city manager, and we started noodling through a way to get me home. Um, it's 6.30. I'm in Los Angeles in gridlock traffic. There isn't any way, really, I, I mean, even to get from Torrance to, to, to the... Uh, StubHub Center, you know, it's a 40-minute drive. So um, we drove, we drove to StubHub, and I and I checked in with the with the head of the games and said I needed to withdraw. And my city manager was pulling strings. And um, what was going through my mind? Um, I said goodbye to my the girls, to my com- competitors, and um, it's such a blur. You know, I could barely talk. I was. I was in shock, and of course, you know, there was actually kind of a, like a survivor's guilt because I wasn't there when it happened, and I didn't tell my family until I got to the Stub Humbett Center, and so we, I called everybody, you know, out to the front, and I stepped out of the athlete tent, and I said, I'm, I'm going home, and here's what happened, and I, I'm sorry, I, you know, I can't spend any time with you. I'm, I'm, I'm headed to the airport. We're going we're gonna, to, somehow we're going to get me a ride. I'm going to get out of here. And uh, it was pretty quick. I mean, I probably spent about 15 minutes with my family. And my boss, my city manager, called me and said, hey, we have a jet that's being uh, coming down from the Hayward Executive Airport to pick you up, and uh, we'll get you home. And it took us almost two hours to get to the airport. The traffic was phenomenal. And um, I just took those two hours and sitting at the jet port waiting for uh, to be picked up, just thinking about, what I needed to do for the next week. Um, I've been in this job a long time, and I, I lost a San Jose officer, Michael Johnson, earlier this year. And although it was personal, it wasn't as personal as losing Scott because this is a mid-sized agency, and, and Scott was, you know, really all that and a bag of chips. You know, when you define a warrior and a guardian, you know, they would show a picture of Scott Lunger. Um, he was funny and smart and a family man, and he inspired his officers, and he worked his butt off every single day at work. And so I was just thinking about how strong I needed to be for my organization. And I, I just prayed about it um, on the flight home and that I would be, you know, strong enough to lead the department through that time. And we have such an amazing organization here. By the time I got here, you know, my team had a lot of things going, most everything in hand, and it was just a matter of me coming in and, you know, sort of wrapping my arms around the organization and being the glue. We had um, a full-time, uh, we have an, uh, a, a department psychologist that comes in for critical incidents, uh, Beth Danzi, and she came in, and she was she had already been here since the middle of the night, and we started putting together a game plan how we were going to do things, but I knew how tough it was going to be over the next however many days till we put the funeral on, and um, he, I wanted to give it a full week, and we were able to do, you know, to bury Scott the following the following Thursday. So it gave us a full week to to do the preparations, and we needed every minute of that. 
Um, when you're putting on a funeral um, that's going to have 8,000 people attend, um, you know, I listen to women trying try to put their weddings together in a year, and they're complaining, and I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> um, we had a lot of help, and I had a lot of help, and I, I have to give all the credit to my captains, um, my city manager, the city team. The Hayward community is unlike any other community. Uh, when I tell you that they love on their public safety, <laughs> they do, and I, and I recognize how, how unusual that is, you know, in these days and times, that a lot of communities don't trust their police department and don't support them. The Hayward community is the polar opposite of that. They had passed a utility tax to, to support us financially. They just passed Measure C. We just had 16 positions added this year, eight professional staff and eight sworn officers. Wow. Um, the love and support, literally, I had thousands of emails, thousands of cards and letters, probably more than 2,000 text messages, Facebook messages. It took us three months to get through all the letters and said thank yous for all of the support that we got. You know, the Rotary Club putting on a breakfast the morning of the funeral um, while we all came together. Um, City Hall um, making sure that all the politicians and all the VIPs that were dignitaries that were attending had rides. I mean, it's just incredible. And, and the day that we put Scott to rest, um, we met out at the Hayward Executive Airport to convene the whole police department, including our retirees, and to have uh, everybody ride on buses except for the escort. And when we left the airport, every community member that was in their vehicle or outside their house, I mean, they lined the streets, they lined the overpasses, they lined the highways to pay their respects to Scott. And it was kind of like that defining moment where you say, because you say to yourself, God, how could I have worked so hard for the last three years to get to the CrossFit Games? You know, you, I never allowed myself to think about that. You, you know, there's no way. You're just, you're too, it's all about taking care of your department. But at that moment, I thought it had to have happened because I needed to be really strong to get the department through this period of time. It's the only thing that makes sense. Because when you are a chief of police and you work seven days a week, because I do, and I'm not in the office seven days a week, but I work every day. And even when people don't see me in here, I, I work all the time. I'm on the phone. I'm doing emails. I'm out at community events. Um, I'm very engaged with this organization. I love my police department. And so I really only do three things in my life. I work, I work out, and I sleep. And that doesn't sound very sexy, but that's what it takes. For the kind of job I have, you know, if I had a nine-to-five job, it'd be a lot different, but I, I don't. I have a lot of built-in flexibility. If I want to go train in the middle of the day, I go train, and then I come back to work because I've got a community event, I've got a council meeting, I've got a presentation, I've got a speech, I'm doing some sort of engagement. But, um, I, and I know I've kind of covered a wide variety of subjects since we talked about me being at the games. Um, words that come to mind, um, devastated, um, proud of my department love my community, we did Scott proud. Um, there's no place for a leader to be selfish. Um, do I feel sorry for myself that I didn't get to finish the games? I really don't. I, I don't feel sorry for myself at all. I am honored to have been the person to be able to lead my department through one of the greatest tragedies we've ever had. 
by the same token, um, I have unfinished business. <laughs> and I'm very uh, motivated to get back to the games and finish what I started this year and finish it next year um, in the name of Scott Lunger and everything that he sacrificed, the ultimate sacrifice. Um, so, no, I don't feel sorry for myself. Am I disappointed? I'd be a liar. Hell, yes, I'm disappointed. But in the big picture, it's the CrossFit Games. It's, it's a drop in the bucket where a family, a police department, and a community lost a loved one in the prime of his life. And so it's all about Scott. And so I'm very at peace with it. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was a real question for me this year whether I wanted to continue as the chief. It was just that emotionally devastating to lose to lose him. You know, people talk about a parent should never have to bury a son or a daughter, and, and I've always agreed with that. And I'll tell you, a chief of police should never have to bury one of their own who dies in the line of duty. Um, there's still a lot of post-traumatic stress related to it. There's, I'd be a liar. I mean, just talking to you is, is hard about it. It's hard to talk about well, yeah, and I we I really appreciate you being so open about it. I think it's it's obviously something that uh, I mean I remember when that when that particular event happened when Sergeant Lunger was was shot and I didn't even piece together uh, the uh, San Jose officer that of course you were familiar with him as well. And, uh, yeah, it's been a tough year. You know, I was talking to the executive team yesterday, and and uh, we're all ready for 2016. <laughs> <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a really it's been a really tough year and a tough year for me personally but on the on the positive side a lot of amazing things happened and you know i i have a favorite quote that talks about that uh, you know we are not defined during times of of comfort but we are defined during times of challenge and controversy it's a martin luther king jr quote and what i saw both in my organization and in my community and in my uh, in my peers and my boss over at City Hall and in myself is that we stood up and did the right thing. Everybody's heart was totally in it. And so we do have that warrior mentality, that guardian mentality. I think I think a lot of times when we talk about warriors, we talk we we forget that police officers are guardians as well. And Scott was both and that's what I I want my department to be is warriors and guardians and if we're talking about guardians of your own health so that you can survive, then then so be it. But I do think that those two terms go hand in hand with each other. And I and I and I want to convey that to your audience. And I don't think there's a more perfect note to end on than on on that quote and on that sentiment. Chief Urban, thank you so much for your time. I think there's a lot of amazing uh, information in here and a lot of motivation a lot of good lessons. Uh, always enjoy talking to people who are out front leading uh, because those are the people we all want to want to get behind and follow. And you're certainly one of them. And I see that um, in how you interact with uh, the public and on the um, YouTube videos and the CrossFit games. It's, it's pretty amazing. So thank you for your time and thank you for being uh, such an ambassador, not only of, of fitness and law enforcement, but just law enforcement. And I think that's fantastic. So Appreciate that. And on that note, everyone, uh, please stay safe and take care of each other. All right, there you go. Great conversation with Diane Urban, Chief of Police of Hayward, California, and CrossFit Games Masters athlete. Uh, phenomenal leader. 
Uh, I think if you got as much out of that conversation as I did, it's that she is definitely uh, the kind of individual, the kind of leader you want at a department, and someone who you, uh, is just naturally has found her her place. It seems as uh, as a chief and as someone who is able to affect the lives of her employees in a positive manner. Thanks for listening to the show. Follow us uh, at on Twitter and on uh, Instagram at the Squad Room, and uh, you can uh, check out our Facebook page. Give it a like. And of course, you can text the Squad Room to four four two 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 to sign up for the mailing list. Please consider leaving a five star review on iTunes as well. That really really helps out the show. Uh, and lastly, again, I want to thank SB Tactical and the iCombat Training System for their support of the show. Check them out at sptactical.com and watch the video of their active shooter system in action. It's replication, not simulation. Until next time, everybody, stay safe. Take care of each other.